0: And I just looked at her and thought, that woman has run 26 miles. I was told I couldn't run any further than halfway around the track. She did that. I'm going to do that. And at that point, I had my consciousness raised and got very much involved.
1: That was Diane Palmison, and this is episode 43 of the Inspired Souls podcast.
2: Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life.
1: Today, we're honored to be speaking with one of the great pioneers of Canadian women's running, Diane Palmison. Now in her eighties and living in Comox, BC, Diane recalls how she discovered her love of running at a Sunday school picnic when she was just seven years old. By 12, she was recruited to train with the Mercury Athletic Club a women's-only track club coached by the legendary 1928 Olympian Myrtle Cook. Diane's career dates back to before women were allowed to run anything longer than 220 yards in competition, but in 1954, at the age of 16, she proudly represented Canada at the British Empire and Commonwealth Games in Vancouver, BC. This was the same competition where both Roger Bannister and John Landy ran under four minutes for the mile in the same race. So Diane even got to witness the first Miracle Mile. With no more opportunities to pursue, Diane retired from running at the age of 17 and carried on with her life. She went to university, became a teacher, married and had four children. Over 20 years went by before she burst back onto the scene, inspired by Eleanor Thomas's win at the inaugural National Capital Marathon in 1975. Since then, Diane has broken Canadian records in every age group from women's 40 to 70 and at every distance from 100 metres to the 80K. In 2003, Diane broke seven Canadian records from 100 metres to the marathon, all within five months, some of which were also world records. This conversation is a history lesson delivered through amazing storytelling. We owe Diane and the female runners of her time a debt of gratitude for spearheading a revolution and changing the commonly held beliefs about what women are capable of, particularly into their master's years. So, without further delay, please enjoy our conversation with the great Diane Palmison. Diane Palmison, it is a huge honour to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, and welcome to Inspired Souls.
0: Well, thank you for that, and um, I'm a little abashed to think that you would use the word honoured, but um, it's fun. I look forward to that.
1: Well, we hope to have a very fun an informative chat with you today. You came onto our radar when I believe it was episode 26 we interviewed Rosalind Smith right. from the Comox Valley Roadrunners and she mentioned you a few times throughout that episode and you were featured in the book Older, Faster, Stronger so I immediately picked up that book and read it and was just you know, amazed getting this huge education on, uh, on kind of the pioneers of the women's running movement, Mm. which of course you are, you are there. And so um, we want to talk about all of that today. Your career dates back to before women were even allowed to run anything longer than 220 yards in competition on the North American continent. And I Mm. think a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with this history and kind of just how far we've come, especially since the 1960s. So we can't wait to dig into all of this with you. Of course, Kim and I both used to live in Comox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In and around the Comox Valley where you currently are. And uh, Kim, is it true that you even
2: treated Diane at one point? Yeah. You know, when when we started seeing name, Diane Palmason, cross our our radar, I was thinking, my goodness, I think I've I've worked with Diane in Comox. And sure enough, I had no idea the greatness (laughs) that was the woman that I was treating at the time. But I had the pleasure of meeting you when you first moved to Comox. And here we are, you know, over a decade
0: later. Yeah, a few years later, um, and there is a, a little bit of a story around all of that too. When I first arrived in Comox in in two thousand and eight, um, I was, you know, I I did I did have a history by that time, and I knew that I did. I'd had done quite a bit, and was known. But um, that was I. I was happy to stay quite incognito. That's why I just arrived, and here I'm just a runner, and uh, so I could be forgiven. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I, well, but I am going to join the Comox Valley Road Runners. So um, let's see. They meet on Tuesday night, and uh, so I went over to the track, and uh, you know introductions. Any anybody new here? I need to raise my hands. What's your name? Diane. Fine. Um, somebody says, What's your last name? And I said, mm, "Palmerson." And, and the coach at the time said, You're Diane. Palmerston. uh oh the secret's out (laughs) and and, and actually a funny part about that was that he was quite concerned because he could see i was older and he looked down at my shoes and I had always been a great and still am uh, a fan of minimal shoes just the very least that i can have on my feet and he looked down and i had on an old pair of new balances which i just loved and he saw them, he thought, "Oh oh, what have we got here? Look at this old woman with these ancient shoes <laughs> oh, that's funny
1: that's funny. well, let's um rewind the clock now okay. and uh and go way back to the beginning. Can you tell us sort of about your upbringing and maybe some of your earliest
0: running memories well um, um... I, I wrote a little story. I do a little bit of running, writing on the side. I wrote a little story at one point about being taller than the average girl of my age and loving to run. And the Sunday school picnic in Calgary when I was six or seven years old, I guess. And here they were setting it up that they were going to have races, and I could run. And um, here you start here in the grass and end up there with the finish line. And can I do it? Yes, you can, because everybody. And so I ran with the seven year olds and, and I won. Oh, what fun. Uncle. And I got an orange, which was a big deal in, the, in, in 1945. Um, so go back and run again. Oh, with the eight year old. Yes. Can. Oh, oh, I won again. Oh, that's fun. Another orange. Then back for the 9 year olds can I still run? Of course you can. Well, by this time, I was being left behind. But that didn't, I, I ended up with almost half a dozen oranges by the end. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> and just lo- loving the fact that I could start and run as fast as I could and just for the fun of it. You know. And and so I knew then that I somewhere in there, I knew I was born to run and did lots of running and, but just for fun. Uh, until I got to uh, Montreal and high school and uh, on the high school track team and at 12 I guess qualified to run in the city championships which is a very big deal and uh, I won both the 75 yards this was Mm -hmm. in the uh, 50s the 75 yards and the Broad jump, as we called it then, and and the fifty. There was nothing longer than that. But because I won three events, the reporter who was there, whose name was Myrtle Cook, Mm -hmm. and that is a name from women's athletic history in Canada, just huge. She was a member of the Canadian women's track team for the 1928 Olympics, and the story about that is just. That's a whole other podcast sometimes. So here she was uh, covering the event for the Montreal Star, big paper. And so she asked if she could take my picture. I said, mm, fine, which she did. And you've seen that photo somewhere. Yes, it's a um, great photo. A you five-year-old know, with my hair and pigtails. Well, what happened was she published that picture on the front page of the sports sections of the Montreal Star, and I went to my high school class and instant fame. And here I was this grade eight, you know, bottom of the pile mm-hmm. kind of thing in the high school until oh, you were on the front page. And all of a sudden I had status. So, oh, this running is really good. I'll stay with it. And so I joined Merle's, uh club, which was called the Mercury Athletic Club. And it was a women's only track club, if you can imagine, in the 50s. Um, And made a point of that. And so all my other running friends, and we trained uh, for, on an old cinder track, of course, and ran uh, as long as, as far as we were allowed to run, Mm -hmm. which for me as a 14, 15 year old was only a hundred yards. If you were, you couldn't run 220 yards as it was until you were 16. Uh, which I, I finally got to be sixteen. I think even then they were not allowed to at in Quebec, but uh, internationally, uh, women were running two hundred and twenty yards. So I tried out for the um, the Commonwealth Games team in in Vancouver in nineteen fifty four, and it did make the team and ran ran the two hundred and twenty as it was. Yeah, and um, I ran in the same heat with Marjorie Jackson Nelson. Marjorie Jackson, Australian, was the world record holder at that time. And as a sixteen year old, I was just blown away. <laughs> and literally I did make it into the semifinals, but not into the finals. I did run the fastest run the fastest two twenty I ever ran. Oh, I know the other part of that was I would train with all the kids, uh, boys and girls, and I loved to run with the boys. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I could run 400, 800, I could run a mile with the boys and stay with them. And yes. this 100 yards, 220 yards, I just, w- just did not have the talent for it. And I went to Queens and there was no women's track and, at, mm-hmm. at Queens in, in 1955. And so that was
1: it. I've always wanted to dig into this part of it. Like at that time when you were 12 years old, 14, 16, and they're saying, okay, you're not allowed to do anything. Well, I guess by the time you were 16, you're allowed to do the 220. But when you were competing in 1952, you weren't allowed to do the 220 yards. So no. do you remember the reasons or the rationale that you were given oh, yes. at that time for the discrepancy between, because you're training with, with the men and you're hanging with them in, in workouts, right? And you're like, yeah. oh, no, I can go farther. Um, what were you told about that? What was
0: the reason? Well, you know, that was the, that was the mid-50s. And that was after the Second World War, everybody gets to go back into the kitchen and be good girls and mm-hmm. and we just did not have there was no sense of protesting. Wait a minute, this isn't fair. It didn't come up at, at, at that stage. In fact, it didn't come up for me uh, until years later when I looked it back at track, at what was happening on the track, and I thought, My God, here it is, nineteen seventy-five, seventy-six. And women are still not running any further than 220 yards in international competition. And at that point, I then, I had my consciousness raised hugely <laughs> and got very much involved with, um, well, with Catherine Switzer and the right. whole push right. to of um, the women's marathon into mm-hmm. the Olympics.
1: But back back when you were 14 years old, do you ever remember saying like this isn't fair, this isn't right, of course, like did you push back against those rules, or did you just kind of accept that that's the way
0: that it was? We were told, and here's the big joke that we laughed about many years later. We were told that, oh well, girls we're delicate and we must be careful, we don't want to, we don't want to uh, endanger our reproductive capacity. Yeah. So, um, you know, and laughing about what they think that our uterus was going to fall out in the track or something like that? Never
2: mind that reproducing is the least <laughs> delicate thing ever. <laughs> it takes a pretty durable woman to birth a child. Yeah, right. Anyways.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And Diane, I think in my research I read I read an article where you said, Okay, if that's the rationale, then why are the men allowed to do hurdles? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love it. I love that feistiness. That's great. Yeah, yeah. But that's something later. You know, where we was right. you know, we wore um saddle shoes and bobby socks and went off to <laughs> university and did what girls were expected to do, which was to Eventually, after I went to McGill to um, find my first husband and marry and go off to Northern Quebec, and of course it was, was, I was, I did nothing athletic at all. I just, well, I had four kids, which is fairly athletic, as you just, as you just commented. But um, the the running thing, kind of, well, that's not quite. It did come up again because I, I knew that. after the kids, after the third one was born, that I just, well, I had put on weight. I've just got to do something and get myself moving. I don't feel good. So that was 1968. And that was the year that Ken Cooper's Aerobics was published. Right. And that book came, that little booklet came and said, oh, here it says, if you could do so-and-so, however far you could run, in 12 minutes, I think. And that will tell you whether you're fit. Oh, that's interesting. So I went out in the local track and said, well, I can just run along and, and, and see. And I found out, oh, <laughs> I can run pretty far in 12 minutes. <laughs> but then, then I was pregnant again until that was the end of that revival. And and didn't really get back to it, to it again until we moved to Ottawa. And here and you mentioned this story, Caroline. You've, I think it's been written in several places. I wanted to run, and I had tried. But after four kids, I had real back problems. So I ended up having a spinal fusion on January the 1st of 1975. And uh, but still I thought, well, okay. I spoke to the orthopedic surgeon in in June of that year after the you know the fusion had pretty much set i said now i i'd like to run I'd do some running i'd like to get fit again and he said, Oh well, you can walk and you can swim, but you'll never run so with that <laughs> encouragement I totally defied, and um, my by that time my my older son was um, becoming very competitive as a 400-meter hurdler. So I went with him to his, his um, track club in Ottawa and went up to a coach and said, um, I'd like to join in. I, no, I, I didn't say that. I, I, I'd, you know, I'd like to, to become in. Somehow I introduced myself. And he said, oh, have you got a daughter that wants to run? And I said, no, I want to run. <laughs> oh, um, okay. <laughs> and I did start running on the track uh, with a different coach with another club. Who was he was, he was wonderful. He was very welcoming, Bill Arnold. Uh, and so I did, did some did some racing on the track. But that spring, they held the first National Capital Marathon, 1975. And by that time, I was still recovering from my spinal fusion. And I opened the paper, and there was a picture of Eleanor Thomas. And here she was looking strong, and she won the first National Capital Women's uh, Marathon. And I just looked at her I thought, that woman has run 26 miles. I was told I couldn't run any further than halfway around the track. And I was just told (laughs) her, okay, she did that. I'm going to do that. And so I started on the track, which is what I was familiar with. I didn't know about road running at that time because it didn't exist. Right. Yeah. How would you know about it? <laughs> and, and there was no Runner's World being published at that time. And but I I thought, well, maybe I can do that next year. But it, it got to be October and it was snow in Ottawa. And I forget. Well, forget it. I, I did love cross-country skiing, so I, I was fairly I was active as well mother of four kids and yeah. and a pair of cross country skis so but finally when the snow was melting I thought okay um now it's march i wonder when that marathon is going to be and i looked it up and uh so, oh it's in may fine i'll phone I'll phone bill arnold and say i want to run a marathon and he said well which marathon and i said well the national capital marathon and he said well that's in 6 weeks I said, yes.
1: <laughs> Diane, I'm I'm seeing a theme emerge. Like your doctor says to you, you know, you've had a spinal fusion. You're not going to be able to run. You're like, okay, we'll see about that. <laughs> and now this, this guy is <laughs> saying, point. ooh, the, the race is in six weeks. I don't think you can do that. And you're like, okay, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> is that a theme that comes up a lot
0: in your life? Well, actually, it shifts over to a different area in the – that man was, Bill Arnold was his name. And not only did he, I said, yes, he, he was so supportive. He said, well, okay, have you done any running? And I said, well, no, but I'm doing some cross-country skiing. Okay, well, here's what you do. And so he outlined a six-week training program for me to be able I said, all I want to do is finish. So he said, okay. And he was totally... Supportive, you can do that. This is fine. Um, uh, by the way, I'm 37 or whatever, yeah. 38 by then. Um, but that wasn't a factor for him either. He had seen me running on the track the previous summer and, and knew that I knew how to pick up my feet, sort of. Yeah, day. yeah, he knew you'd come from a running a running background I, and yeah, I had liked to run and, and could run. So I did followed the six week program. And found at the end that I could um, go for a long time at uh, nine minutes to the mile, mm-hmm. and I did a two weeks out. I did a twenty miler. I don't know how long it took me, but I knew that I was comfortable at nine minutes to the mile. So I entered in the National Capital Marathon. And speaking of inspiration, I by myself I drove up to the parking lot at Carlton University, which is where the start line was. And I, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I better go home. And I was ready to leave, and a little Volkswagen comes up, parked right next to me, and out comes an older couple. The woman could have been my aunt, and she had a number pinned on her her vest. And I looked at her, and I said, "Are you running a marathon?" And she said this will be my fifth. Mm. So, okay, Palmerston, just get yourself on the line. <laughs> and roll And later on, I'll have to fill in that, that, uh, that woman's name. She was, she, she, you know, in the Canadian Masters road running and, you know, at a, as a, a Hall of Fame in that older age. This was in Toronto. And Toronto had already had a number of marathons by that time. And, And so Toronto was way ahead of Ottawa, I guess. Right. Anyway, so as I said, I knew at nine minutes to the mile for a long time. And I said, okay, I'll start out nine minutes to the mile. And in those days, maybe 500 people on the line. Mm -hmm. If you're going to run at nine minutes to the mile, you're at the back. Right. You know, because only good trained runners are actually going to do this marathon. But I stayed with my, and pretty soon, by about halfway, I was picking up all the people who had left me behind at the start, mm-hmm. and so I and ended up at the finish line and at three fifty four. Oh wow, good job! It was nine minutes to the mile. Yeah, you're you're good at pacing. Well, I can't take full credit for that. In those days, you could have a cyclist beside you. My younger son, no, my older one was out on the bike from about 18-19 oh, miles on for a little while along the Ottawa River Parkway and he was timing me said mom you just picked up the pace slow down and so <laughs> awesome. oh, all right all right all right and so he was very much by that time I was not paying attention to mm-hmm. you know losing it overall getting tired and so he was on it to make sure that I stayed on my pace which I did and then at the at crossed the finish line and I thought well okay it's not so bad I'm sitting on the grass Eleanor Thomas comes up and she she was looking for me because I had phoned her the week before and said "Mm, I don't know what to wear what do I do she was so fine with me and she said I'll look for you at the finish line she had one again of course and she came up to me and said well how was that and I said well you know it was okay in fact I probably didn't do it the way I should, I said, what do you mean? Well, I think I could have run faster. And she said, well, do you want to run another one? I said, yes, I think I can. And she said, well, if you had pushed and run into trouble and, and had to stop or whatever, you wouldn't want to run again. So it was yes. fine to do your first marathon, very controlled. Mm-hmm. And, and the next time I ran, which was that October, at the Niagara um uh, the Marathon they called it. It was Buffalo, New York to New- to Niagara Falls. It was wonderful. And I ran 324. <laughs> oh just just a little half
1: an hour yeah. improvement.
0: Yeah. Half an hour less. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'll go a little harder this time. <laughs>
2: Diane, I have a question just to paint the picture of the era of the day here. So you were doing this at a race, but I believe I've read that You know, there were times prior to this, you know, in the fifties and sixties where you would, you know, almost have to sneak out to run, like you would run after dark. And if you saw a car passing, you'd stop. So nobody would see you running on the streets. What was it like to train maybe just in that six weeks prior to your first, but then after that in the seventies, were you able to freely run? Like were women ostracized for lack of a better word for road running and training in, in that day Not
0: in not in the seventies. No, not in the
2: seventies. Okay.
0: Back in, and it wasn't so much that I was ostracized; it was just you didn't do it, mm-hmm. and you didn't have running shoes. And I, I finally had a, I bought a you know old tracksuit, and I had a, a standard poodle, and uh, I would say, okay, all the four kids are in bed. Well, I'll go out and you know seven or eight at night and walk walk with Muff. And if no one is looking, we'll pick it up and we'll run a little faster for a bit. But if a car came by, oh, no, 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 I'm just out here walking my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the part that is
1: just so hard for us to grasp so right now. For yeah. 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 And, and if I'm being totally honest, it was a little over a year ago that I was running along listening to a podcast. I've told this story before, but it was a podcast interviewer, she was interviewing Catherine Switzer. And Catherine Switzer was talking about this whole era. And I was like, oh my gosh, Catherine Switzer is about my mom's age. You know, like, look at how much change has happened just in this one generation where I have never ever in my life gone out for a run and thought it was weird, uh, unusual that I needed to stop when somebody was watching. Like, it, things have changed and things have progressed so, so far in, in just this one generation. So I think it is really important. Thanks, Kim, for highlighting that story, because it's true. Yeah. Like, we don't realize how much
0: progress there's been. Well, and I had two counts against me, if you will, because not only was I uh, female, but I was 37, 38 years old. Right. I had four kids. Yeah, And what what did I think I was doing? In fact, I questioned myself, really, am I too old to to do this? Mm -hmm. And that was when I, Evelyn Saul was, Evelyn? No, I'll come back to you with that name of that woman. She was the one who showed me, I'm older than you. And actually, she was quite a bit slower too, but bless her heart, she was wonderful, Uh, and to show me that, you know, Carry on. You can. Age doesn't have to be. It it doesn't have to be a factor. And the other part of that was that the National Capital Runners Association at that time, all the men and the women totally supported. Wow, you can do that. Come and you know you you ran a half. Come, you ran a marathon. Come and 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 run a half. Join us for a ten k, and. So encouraging, so supportive. Yes. It was just from there on, it was it was not a problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, circling back to your coach, was it that was like, yes, I'll write you this six week marathon <laughs> training yeah. program. Like it sounded like he was very encouraging, too, because there must have been part of you that's like, can I really do this? Is this really <laughs> possible? But he was so encouraging. And again, that was a theme throughout Catherine Switzer's book. Yes. Of like it was not
0: the men we had to convince. <laughs> it was. Actually yeah, men. actually, it was men, but it was the old men. It was the old men running the amateur Athletic associations which were in charge and said this is the event in fact when I wanted to run on the on the Commonwealth Games try out for the Commonwealth Games team um, at, at even then at 16 the distance was not allowed to me except that my co- my coach at the time Myrtle Cook mm-hmm. spoke up and said she's competing for an international competition you have to let her you know, it's not your rules for Quebec or even Canada. It's the international, and there's no age limit in, the, in back in 1954. And, and so, I ran my first 220 yards in the Quebec trials. It was the first 220 I ever ran, and I won it. And so, off to Vancouver for the trials, and ran my second ever 220. Uh, to get on the Canadian team so it was not as like, if I was exactly trained and ready to do that you were gifted
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i i had some i had some things going for me i was tall and strong and healthy and i had long legs and uh, mm. and i loved to do it yeah so, yeah goes yeah. a long all, way well
1: actually on that 1954 it was the it was called the British em- empire games back then it's now we know it, it as
0: was- E.E. E. and C.J. It was both British Empire and Commonwealth Games. Oh, okay. Isabel. And so that, that's why in Vancouver, it was called Commonwealth Stadium. Uh, the oh, famous, really? The famous stadium where in August of 1954, the Miracle Mile was running.
1: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. You watched it, right? Oh,
0: <laughs> well, that was amazing to be there. And there were far more boys, men, on the 54 team because women were so restricted. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. Um, we didn't have any of the long distances at all. Didn't have any of the strength. Um, well, you, I think the women, women, yeah, we did have a, she could do the shot put and the discus, I think. But anyway, fewer women. But we were quite a close group and uh, went to the track on that Saturday. August the sixth, I think, nineteen fifty-four. All excited, because um, it was going to be Roger Bannister, who had just broken the the four-minute mile in May, and then um, John Landy. John Landy thank you, uh, had run almost as fast and and very competitive and it was very exciting and so I was there uh, on the not up, up a bit from the finish line to watch that race and it was totally inspirational if I ever wanted to run a distance I wanted to run the mile at that yeah. day I like, oh that is just a wonderful distance I'd love to do it the interesting thing that was that was also the afternoon that Jim Peters came into the stadium collapsing in the marathon and it was oh it was an awful thing to to view because he was t- it was they were running the marathon at in the afternoon in august in vancouver and the heat was just killing and it almost killed him he was way ahead of his competitors onto the track but waving and waving around and the british team was in- you know, keep him going, and someone else says, No, stop him. Oh, but he's winning. Never mind, he's dying. <laughs> and they took him off the track. And the whole stadium, was, the change of the atmosphere from the excitement of the mile to the tragedy. Yeah. That. Oh, yeah, the marathon did finish. And actually, a Canadian um, runner, speaking of knowing Canada's um, track history, um, was was third rich person. Uh, was third, and so never mind what those Landy and Bannister were doing, here comes the Canadian! Yeah. <laughs> and did he go under four minutes as well, or was it no. was it just Bannister and Landy? Did, no, did. but he did break the Canadian record with yeah. just over four minutes. So Yeah,
2: so just sorry to interrupt, I, I actually ha- happen to know, we have a lot of listeners of this podcast who aren't runners that just find everybody's stories fascinating. My mother is one of them, <laughs> and she's probably wondering, what you know what the heck was the significance of the four minute mile? So let's just summarize what the significance—sorry of yeah. the of the miracle mile was. It was the first time that two runners had broken the four minute barrier.
0: Yeah. Correct? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But it was it was May the sixth of nineteen fifty four that Bannister broke the four minute mile. Uh, that was such a uh, huge. Uh, coverage of it and right. it caught the world world's attention at that time. And then to think that, that he would be meeting this Australian who was, th- there was great competition. And there was another, there was a Cana- an American, Wes Santee, and he was very close as well. And another, um, a very famous Finnish runner was very close. So the whole track and field world at that time was mm-hmm. focused on can they do it? And and then so Bannister did it and said, okay, now who's best? And the race itself was classic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because Landy took the, the lead and was quite far ahead going around for the first time. And Bannister closed it up a little bit. The second closer still up, coming up to the, uh, unto the bell lap. And there was a classic photo. In fact, there was a statue. There's a statue in Vancouver of it of that moment because what it was it just as it coming around the bend onto the up the finishing straight landy looked over his left shoulder as banister passed him on the right and oh i get excited even now <laughs> yes yeah. oh my goodness yeah.
1: how exciting to be there do you think you realized at that time the significance of it you probably did
0: Oh, I'm, I'm I'm sure I realize how I I did don't think I had very much the feeling. I did not have a feeling. Why can't I compete in the mile? That mm, didn't, yeah. didn't come up then. Mm-hmm. There, this is what they did, and I I think oh I can do that. I can run a mile, but it it was just there was not a feminist uh, approach at all mm-hmm. in the fifties. That was just. And not in Canada, and certainly not in Quebec. You know, you just yeah, yeah. You, you couldn't go. You couldn't have bare shoulders going downtown in 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 Montreal in in the fifties. You know, you just didn't. It was so controlled by the Catholic Church, I guess, among other things.
1: Well, on that note, I think that you eventually raced a mile because I'm going to tell you a little fun story. Okay. On the anniversary of Bannister, so May 6th or 4th or whatever of this year, Mm -hmm. my brother coaches a club back in Ontario, and he, you know, sometimes includes me still because I used to belong to that club. But uh, he said, "Okay, here's the assignment. Everybody is going to go out and run your fastest mile Mm -hmm. and see if you can beat some of the record holders in the mile. And so they're all listed, all the age groups uh, right on up. And uh, you were listed as the female 65, I think, well, record okay. holder. You may still yeah. hold it
0: in 619. Oh, I, had a, I had a whole bunch of them for a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's to put it mildly, yes. I, I had them certainly at, we I didn't really start running on the track until I was in my 50s uh, and found out that I could go back and run those shorter distances right. as well. So I did have the Canadian 60-plus in the mile. And then, actually, for a while, the 65-plus that I had was a world record. Yeah.
1: Well, I I took a look at all the records, and I was like, okay, I cannot beat the... Like, I can't beat the one in my own age category, for sure. But I said, okay, I'm going to try to go out and beat Diane (laughs) Palmison's 619 that she ran when she was 65. Yeah. Right? And so... (laughs) that was just a that's just a fun little anecdote. And then I said, and then maybe I'll interview
0: her on the podcast someday. So, so tell me, how did you do?
1: I was six minutes. Oh, good.
0: You yeah. ran a six minute mile. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. So oh, that's amazing. I don't know
1: that I'll be able to do that in uh, 23 years, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about that. So I have a question for you. You know, you've held and do still hold a, a many, many um, records. Um, and naturally, some of those have been broken over the years. In fact, we have a lovely picture of you and Rosalind Smith, one of our former guests, oh, right. standing together after she broke your um, women's 65 to 69 marathon record in right. 2014. And um, Carla Del Grande has said that you've been very gracious when she broke records of yours. Yes. So, and bless her heart. Since there are very, there are few people in the position of holding as many records as you. Talk to us about what it's like when one of your records falls.
0: Um, well, the records were nice, and, and, but it was more the particular races that I ran and won. So yes, Carla did break my 65 plus world record for the 400, but she could not take away from me the memory I had of the day that I ran that. That was 2003, and I was at the um, U.S. Masters Track and Field Championships, and I knew I was fit. I had done, um, and I never had a coach. I just did it, you know, until I was coaching myself, and then it was kind of fun to do the workouts with the people that I was coaching with, but I never did have the people that I was coaching in Denver, and in Bellingham, I never had them do a workout that I hadn't done ahead of time so that I knew what it felt like and what to expect from them. So I was more, I was my own coach, I guess. Um, and I knew I had trained well for the, for that track meet in in, uh, in in 2003. And the first event was the 400. And uh, ugh, I was so nervous. I never forgot. I wrote a story about Mm -hmm. that one as well. The story says, well, it's only 400 meters, (laughs) but uh, tremendously nervous for it, um, but so keyed up and in the place where they hold you before you go out on the track, everybody was in there and you're putting on your spikes and getting ready to go and I overheard a conversation and someone saying, oh, well, this American woman, um, oh, she's going to be running the 400. Oh, she's. You know, she's great. So, well, I that Canadian Diane Lawson is here. She's pretty. She's pretty. Oh, she's pretty good. But no, uh, she doesn't have a chance. And that was just okay. Now I'm Mm -hmm. going to show you.
1: (laughs) There it is again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. And I'll never forget that race because um, I just was. Well, sometimes they talk about being in the zone. And I was just like, okay, I'm out here and I'm very quickly out in front by myself and I'm fine. And I remember uh, another Ottawa, no, Vancouver runner saying, oh, what's she doing? She's already at the 220. What's she doing? I ran way faster than I had run. I had no idea, but it just came. And so I'm glad that <laughs> Carla. And, you know, Carla, who has a long history of racing on the track with so many records herself, and, and bless her heart, very sweet, um, and always very kind in, in giving me credit for having been a master's runner out in front of her and setting standards that she could go after. So, you know, a very, fo- very fine relationship with, Car- with Carla. Um, But yet she broke that record, but uh, she can't take away the memory of that race. It was just, and and then the same thing happened the next day with the 800. So that that particular track meet, I broke the world record in the 400 and the 800. And a few weeks before, I had broken the world record in the 1500 and the mile. So within about, four five weeks, I guess, I had broken four world records. Oh, yeah. And that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. And you know, you'll always
2: have your memories, like Absolutely. you just said there, no matter what happens. Now,
0: with- all those records are broken. Now, actually, the one that stayed longest was the 800. It hung in for a while until an American broke it, maybe, a, oh, maybe two years ago, I guess. And I, I saw it in the paper, but so what?
1: <laughs> do you believe that the records are made to be broken? Is there like part of you that enjoys seeing the women coming up behind you?
0: Um, it, it, not so much that. It, it, it's known, you know, time goes on and mm. events change and the competition changes and uh, opportunities change and records do get broken. Some of them taking longer than others. And in 1954, a woman named um, Sylvia Ruger, mm, yep, broke the Canadian Open marathon record. I think she did it in the trials for the Olympics. And that same year, that fall, I broke the forty-five plus um, Canadian marathon record. Um, I don't think it was a world record, that, that went, but it was, it was it was my best, my PR um, at. 246 when I was 46 and that record lasted for 25 years and Sylvia's record from the same year I I connected with Sylvia a few times through the years I'm sad to know that she that she's no longer with us Mm -hmm. but um, she and I had these records that went on and on and on and nobody touched them for decades Mm -hmm. and that was kind of fun. I forget the name of the woman who broke the 45 plus. She was full-time. In the, in the 80s, um, I was worked full-time. I worked for Sport Canada and, and, and had four kids. So <laughs> to do the training um, was done around things. I was Whoa. never full-time until I was, started coaching then I could put more time into my training and my when I was 60. So. Right. <laughs>
1: well, you're starting to talk about some of your absolutely incredible range, right? You have all these um, records on the track, but then you've also got this 246 marathon PB. And I think I've read that you've even done all the way up to an 80k is that right yeah yeah. wow so that is that is highly unusual that kind of range because we all know that the training that's required for you know the 200 meters is very different from the training that would be required for an ultra marathon so um,
0: yeah well i must say that 80k was uh, i think maybe 1979 1980. And I was, I had no interest in going any longer than 26 miles. (laughs) But um, someone invited me to this lovely event, all expenses paid to come down and and run, well, it was 50 miles. uh, Mm -hmm. And and so I did. My son on his bicycle was very crucial with that story, because it was a small race, went four times around a a, a lake in uh, southern Quebec. And because it was quite rural, and just, you, you could not be in, participate in that unless you had a. A a cyclist with you because you were off by yourself sometime on the other side of the lake. So I said, "Okay, Craig, it's your birthday. Come along and (laughs) and and cycle for fifty miles with me," (laughs) which he did, um, very obligingly. All his expenses were paid too, and it was actually on his on his birthday. I remember that maybe it was his eighteenth birthday. Um, So around and around the lake we go and. By the third time around, okay, got to go around again. Well, here we go. By that time, I was well beyond the marathon distance. And it was hilly right at the end. So here's Craig on his bicycle beside me. And I've I've just about had it. I'm done. Mom, um, can you go a little faster? Mm -hmm. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Because by that time, his butt was beginning to hurt.
2: He was ready to be done, too. He was ready to be done. So on that note, like overall, what did your children think about your running career? And did any of them get into athletics
0: as well? They're all very gifted and and athletic in different ways. They all ran with me on the track. I have run a race of one distance or another with all four of the kids.
1: Mm, That's so special. Your children must be so proud of you and i think i even saw a picture when you were inducted into the canadian masters athletics hall of fame in yes. 2010 did your son attend yeah. that with you yeah yeah
0: well eric ran eric that was craig rather who had been of course a member of the canadian track team himself mm-hmm. and so knew some of the people around right. and he read the citation which uh, was very sweet
1: that must have meant a lot. I mean, getting the award in the first place, and then having your son in attendance with you. Yeah.
0: So lots of good, um, lots of good things came to me through all those years and years of of running and coaching. When I got to Colorado, um, I had already certified as a as a coach, a middle long distance running coach in Canada, with the Coaching Association of Canada. So then in Denver, I connected with the USATF and got their coaching certification as well and ended up on a track and meeting this woman and she was, oh she was, looked great. She, wow, what a beautiful runner she is. Uh, Maureen Custy was her name and she was one of the top American marathon runners of the time and, went, and had started coaching herself uh, on a high school team and we met on the track and I was told to my athletes, and she had started doing coaching up, uh, adults as well, and, you know, met each other, and, and she knew my background a little bit on how much I had learned about um, drills and all of the things that we mm-hmm. did for the track. And so she said, would you help me um, with my, my high school team? We're going to have a camp. Would you come to my high school? And said, yeah, I'll come do that. I'll be a guest and whatever. And then the other male coach pulled out for some reason or other that, no, it it can't happen. And and Maureen and I had already started to plan, okay, this is what we'll do and have this and that. So she came to me and said, well, the the camp is going to happen. And I went home and told my husband of the time, well, I guess that's not going to happen. And he said, well, um, you're you're, you're two women coaches. Why don't you have a camp for women? And we did. And we set, we, we formed the Women's Running Camps in 1992 in Colorado. And we did that for 10 years, and it was so much fun. She was wonderful to work with, and I had camps. We had camps in Colorado, up in the Rockies, and Breckenridge, and uh, wow. a high altitude. And women came from all over. We could only handle 40 women. Mm-hmm. So they're 44 per, for, and we did maybe three, sometimes three, sometimes four camps a summer. I
2: can't imagine many people were doing women's running camps no, at that point. You're probably the only. Yeah, yeah,
0: Absolutely the only. Yeah, how amazing. Uh, but and Runner's World picked up the story and sent one of the, uh, Christina Negron, to attend the camp. And she had a photographer and took pictures of us wrote a story, and it was published in Runner's World. And then Maureen was, we shared, I, I did the logistics, and she did the, she was the front person, and so, well, how could you, how could you participate in this women's running camp? Well, here's Maureen's phone number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we gave her her private family home number to this magazine writer. <laughs> <laughs> we had to we had to change her phone I mean, right no <laughs> way that we could we could cope with that so we did that for 10 years and actually kept on going until maureen's two kids had gotten to be uh, teenagers and she found that you know, being away and we we did them in whistler we had wonderful camps in whistler It was beautiful um, but it meant her being away from her family, either in, in up in the mo- mountains or in Whistler. And by that time, my mother, my my mother was living on her own. My father had died, and I was traveling back and forth to Sydney, to Vancouver Island, to ten moment. It just said, okay, we can't do this anymore. Our personal lives are mm-hmm. calling us more than than these camps. So. So that was the end of women's running camp, but for ten years it was it was great fun and actually, it helped me with my coaching and both of us with our coaching because I had always said I would never coach anybody online that I hadn't seen run, and women would come to camp, and then I'd see them and I would assess them, and then they would ask me if I would help them and having seen them and having known. What their capacities were, what the challenges were, and then I could work with them wherever they were, right and I did that for about 10 or 12 years, I guess. well uh, I, I kept coaching until uh, I helped some of the Comox road runners were preparing for the uh, the Royal Victoria as we as it was called at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. and, and I, th- I think by that time well, I was getting up to being 70, and that was enough with the coaching too.
1: Yeah, well, everything you know comes to an end eventually, but the sport has come such a long way in your yes, lifetime, right. and, and partly because of you and, and you're giving back through your coaching and all of that. But I was wondering if you're still following along with the sport these days, because the depth that we have right now in Canada, particularly on the women's side, like, Team Canada just and the Canadian Olympic committee just announced our marathon team for this summer. And it's, Dana Pitoreski, 35 years old, Natasha Wodak, 39 years old, Melindy Elmore, 41 41 years old. I really wanted to get your thoughts. And like, are you following along? And what do you think of this incredible depth? And we're leaving, this is, I should really mention that we're leaving very talented and very deserving athletes at home because we just
0: have so many to choose from and we can only take three and that's that's wonderful, and I think I mentioned to you at one point I saw melinda in qualifying time and hooray good for her um mm-hmm. and obviously showing that um, which I hadn't realized at the time that age was age was not a factor in fact, one little story that I used to tell women uh, getting started women in their late you know thirties early forties. It can. Oh well, you know, I'm I'm 40 years old. Excuse me. When I was 37 or whatever, this is what I ran. Eight years later, nine years later, I ran an hour and whatever faster. Yeah. So it is not yeah. was not my age. It was my experience. It was my training. It was the billing of my endurance. And these women have had, all of them have had training and and racing opportunities eventually they they, eventually you do slow down a little bit
1: But they've had consistent opportunities. You're alluding yeah. to this, like Melindy Elmore. I mean, she was went, she went to the Olympics a couple of times in the yeah. 1500. Uh, so she's kind of had these two careers. I think it was 17 yeah. years ago she did yeah. her first Olympics. And so, and ever since then, she's had opportunities. And that's the difference.
0: And she's had a coach. I understand it's her husband that coaches her. Yeah. And, and there's, the coaches know so much more. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when, when I started running, there was... A, um, to figure out how to train for that first marathon, I couldn't find anything about running. But there was the cross-country skiers seemed to right. know what to do. And so I had a, a book. And actually, back in those days, it was carbohydrate loading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I read about that. Thought, OK. Um, but if you, with, you know, the, the information was just not there. And now it's so highly sophisticated. And everything is measured in such a way that in, in a way, I'm glad I'm not coaching anymore because I'd have to know all this technical stuff about wearing whatever equipment that gave such feedback and so I used to have people listen to their heart you know listen to their body and -hmm. and maybe a little bit of a one simple heart rate monitor but not anything like They do now. So, uh, no, know, I have to admit that I have not po- followed the, 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 uh, either the track or the road racing scene that much. I tried to for a while. I did become very, well, I was involved and very supportive of Cam Levins. Because mm-hmm, he's from your area. Yeah. I used to see Cam on the track, you know, so a big fan of his and and know his parents. And disappointed for him when he didn't perform to what he felt was his potential. I'm very proud of him when he uh, broke the finally broke um, uh, Jerome Dayton. Jerome Dayton. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I I did. I, I ran Boston in 1977 and met Jerome Dayton there. He won. That year. Yes. And, yeah, and, that
1: uh, record stood for a long time. Just like yeah. Sylvia Ruger's, right? And yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Cam just qualified in the nick of time. Like I think it was just a week or so before the the qualification period ended. Mm-hmm. And so he's gonna be going to the Olympics too. So that'll be fun to follow along with yeah. as well, won't it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, we we could talk all day. We've been, we've been going for quite a while. This was so much fun. Um, oh just sort of on the note of like, you've got a very unique background, right? That you've yeah. come up through and you've been an athlete and you've been a coach and you've been a pioneer for women's running. What advice can you share with us like about getting into the sport, no matter oh. your age, no matter your talent, like speak to the person who may be listening to this Unsure of whether they belong or whether they should give it a try.
0: Well, I sometimes hesitate to do that because, as you said early on, I was fortunate. I was gifted. I didn't know who I was for decades, but um, and but I have coached many, many people who've all different ages, men and women. And my thought about that was, I would encourage people to know where they fit as far as performance and events and so on. And then your goal would be to be the best you can be at whatever it is. I used to get so excited when I'd coach someone and I'd say, okay, let's have three three goals. And let's say that you're gonna run a half marathon and you would be you know you would do well to run two ten. That would be a very good performance. If you ran 2.05, boy, that would really be good. Congratulations. If you ran two hours, you'd be out of your gourd. You'd be so excited. (laughs) But give yourself a little leeway. Be realistic. Maybe get some help from someone else in assessing or see what your history was. And then expect a little bit of improvement over time. But another thing that happens with... um, more on the track, I guess, than with road running, they have these whole tables, which allow you to age grade your performance. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's hugely right. motivative, motivating. Um, so I could say, for example, that the 800 I ran when I was 65 was better than the one that I ran when I was 41. Now, not by time, but in terms of relative performance it was way less relative to your age yeah, yeah for your age so um, I guess most of all um, well it's hard work but you have to en- enjoy the uh, the outcome of it you, they have to even if it's just your work at own oh, no, I don't feel like okay well just go out and start and see how it feels and if it really feels terrible fine quit and come back and Rest properly and, and try again. But it, it might begin to feel a little better. And then by the time you've finished the workout, whatever it is, you think, wow, I did that. That's great. <laughs> and be, be happy with, with, with that result. And it doesn't always have to be in races. It can be your own personal fulfillment of a goal that you set for yourself that was realistic. And, mm. and, and then be proud of yourself
2: we're doing it. Wow. Well said, you know, um, listening to you talk and listening to all of your stories, I can't help but think how many women, you know, young women getting into the sport or women in their twenties, thirties today really owe you a debt of gratitude, not just you, but, you know, women of your generation um, who we don't have to deal with some of the barriers, some of the stigma, some of the assumptions (laughs) uh, of the day that that you did. Is there anything you'd like to say to, to the younger generation as far as, you know, things we can be grateful for that we maybe aren't aware of?
0: Well, I think you know, I appreciate this opportunity to um, share a little bit uh, what the history was, um, and maybe to have a little a, a young younger runners just know um, yes you're you're doing that now, but um with your, it's not anything that anyone would su- even suggest, well, you really shouldn't do that. Um, so just know a little bit about the history, about the background, where we were. And, and people like, um, well, you've read Catherine, Catherine Switzer's book. Um, that whole push to get a marathon into the Olympics mm-hmm. was such a, well, it was fun. <laughs> because we, she started out with have, having one marathon. I ran the Avon Women's International Marathon in London in 1980 and what a kick that was because we ran in London on the very same day that the men ran the Olympic marathon in Moscow Mm -hmm. and it was just like we were thumbing their nose our our noses at those (laughs) people oh well women can't do that excuse me there are (laughs) more than 300 women here they're from 26 different countries they're Indian and Japanese and they're uh, Middle East and Australian and whatever, and and we did it, mm-hmm. and put that in your pipe, <laughs> 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 whatever. And, well,
1: um, there's that theme again, right? You you say I can't do this, and I'm going to show you that I can.
0: And then, so well, there were so many women who were doing that too, including, right. including including Catherine. She was in the world. I was basically focused on on Canada, but we all wrote letters to the. The uh, Olympic, the, oh, 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 the, right? the, yes. <laughs> the IOC, the ioc yes, IOC. Think, get with it, come yes, on, and, yes. cause, and then the next. Well, wait a minute, the marathon. But how come women are only running three thousand meters when the men are running five and ten? Right. So right. then we had to take that one on, <laughs> and get and 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 get the five hundred, and and in fact that that crucial race. In the Olympics in 1984, was it, with um, Zola Budd? And yes, Mary and Decker,
1: Mary Decker Slaney. Mary yes. Mary
0: Decker Slaney. That was 3,000 meters. Why right. was it 3,000 meters? It should have been 5,000 meters. Right. But because of the, you know, the sad, sad accident between the two of them, it left a Canadian in third place. Yes, there Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Williams. Williams.
1: Yeah. And Lynn yeah.
0: is a very good coach. Yes. Herself. Oh, so well, and here. she's
1: still coaching Natasha Wodak at the moment. So
0: oh, is she, she oh. is.
1: Yeah. So that's ex- probably exciting and full circle for her to have Natasha yeah. going to the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there is so much history. And um, we are so grateful, as Kim said oh. to you for, for the storytelling time. And, um, you know, you're just so far ahead of your Time really you seized those very few opportunities that you did have and you persevered and you showed us what uh, women could do long into their
0: master's years so yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and one final thing too I was unusual and I'm still unusual as far as loving to train and race on the track and run the long distances and the marathon too. Genetically, I was certainly gifted for that. That's not something I would recommend. Find your range, find your yes. distance so that you can excel at, and uh, and and and, and say with. Oh, they'll play with the other stuff too. Get on the track and race. It's but if a half marathon is your favorite distance, then go for it. Right.
1: Oh. I love this advice. Yeah, great advice. And again, thank you for paving the way for all of us and showing us all what's possible. Thank
0: you for doing this uh, series of podcasts. Well, thank you so much, Diane. Okay, enjoy your evening.
2: We can tell Diane has so much
1: respect for the sport and its athletes because she immediately followed up with the name of the older woman who had run the National Capital Marathon multiple times, Judith Kasdan. Born in 1920, Judith was a barrier breaker much like Diane, running 38 marathons in total at a time when it was regarded as unacceptable and even dangerous. In 2010, the year after her death, she was inducted into the Canadian Masters Athletics Hall of Fame. Diane also provided a correction for an error she made in the recording. She said that by the 1976 Olympics, women were still only running 200 metres, but in actual fact they were running 1,500 metres by then. I also made an error when we were talking about Melindy Elmore. I said she represented Canada at the Olympics in the 1500 meters twice, but it was actually once, in Athens in 2004. After narrowly missing making the 2008 and 2012 teams, she essentially retired from the sport, only to make a huge comeback at the marathon distance 17 years later.